Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John speaks from the subject of Love by Comparison. This is part number four of the series entitled Power of Love. And now, here is today's message. Revelation 2, we're going to read the first seven verses. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of Jesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Here's the letter. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand or your candlestick from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Lord, would you quicken our hearts today? Would you help our ears to hear what it is you're saying? God, we have ears. I pray that we listen to what your Spirit is saying to your church today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us examine our hearts, that we'd open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit who searches our hearts, who plumbs the depths of our hearts and reveals our our deepest and darkest secrets and intents and motives. And we pray that you would do that in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated today. Well, this we're uh, in, in the middle of a series called The Power of Love. The Power of Love. And it has been a challenging series. At least it has been for me. Uh, it actually began with a challenge. I don't know how many times I've read that scripture that we just read together. I don't know how many times through the years that I've read it. I've preached on it. I've taught it. But when I read it a few weeks ago, it just took on a whole new level of intensity for me. Jesus wrote a letter to the pastor of the church. That's what it means when it says it was written to the angel of the church. The word that's translated angel literally means messenger. And most scholars believe it was written to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, the one who delivers God's messages to the body each week. So when Jesus writes a a letter to a pastor it gets really personal really fast. And I looked at the first part of this, of this letter, and I think, man, this is a great church. I mean, look at the attributes of this church. They work hard. They don't give up easily. They're, they're disciplined. They protect the integrity of the ministry and of the faith. 
they discern truth from falsehood, and they're mature enough to not to fall for false doctrine. I mean, that sounds like a well-pastored, mature church. But when, I, but when I read just a few sentences later that Jesus is willing to shut the place down over an issue, it makes me sit up and take notice. Jesus said, if you don't fix this, I'm going cl- to remove your lampstand or your candlestick. I'm going to close the doors of your church. And I know enough about church history to know that within just a, few, just, just a few years from the writing of this letter, that there was no more Christian presence in the city of Ephesus. So what in the world was so important that Jesus closed what appeared to be a solid church? What was the issue? Love. It was love. Jesus said, you don't love me and you don't love others as much as you did at first. You see, that's what made this, makes this whole subject so tough. He didn't say you don't love me. He said you don't love me like you once did. It's not a black and white issue. It's not do you love me or do you not. It's do you love me by comparison. Do you love me by comparison. Exodus chapter 20, I want to show you this. All the way back to, to almost the beginning of when Jesus began, of when God com- began to communicate with people. God gave the people all these instructions. You'll recognize these as the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourselves any idol of any kind, an image or anything in the heavens or in the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. See, we get confused when we read this kind of stuff about God because the only kind of jealousy that we know about is based in insecurity and mistrust. God is completely self-sufficient. He's all-powerful. He is not afraid that he's going to lose us. He's not, he, it's not that he, we won't fill some need for him because God has no needs. When God says he's jealous for our affection, jealous for our love, it's because he knows that loving him first and most is not best for him, it's best for us. He knows that your love drives action and attitude. So God's first commandments, and, then, and we've, let, we've read several times in the last few weeks what Jesus would call the greatest commandments is, the, is that we would love God above everything, with everything that we have, and then that our love for God would overflow into our love for everybody else. Love God and love others. But loving God has to be first, and that love has to be most by comparison with everything else in our lives. So today's message is love by comparison. Love by comparison. And I want us to look at four areas straight out of the Word in which we need to do a checkup and make sure that our love for God is greater. So the, again, the series is the power of love, but love can go in a number of different directions. And if we don't love God most, our love for other things will drive us away from Him 
and have dire consequences in our lives. So let's dive in today. We, the love by comparison. We have to love God more than our past. We have to love God more than our past. That's where the, the uh, Ephesian church was missing it, at least one of the areas. They still loved God, but when Jesus compared their love to how much they loved him before, he saw the difference. He said, you don't love me as you did at first. They were losing ground in their relationship, in their love with Jesus. Jesus was falling from the top of their list to somewhere below. See, when you look at the best and and most enduring relationships, people who've been married 30, 40 plus years, what you find is that their appreciation and love for each other deepened as the year goes on, as the years go on. It, it, It changes for sure but it changes for the better. It's the only way you can survive that long together and still be happy and fulfilled. The things that you go through, the ups and downs of your life, the tragedies and the triumphs cause you to grow closer together and deeper in love. That's what should happen with our walk with Jesus. As the old song says, it should get sweeter as the days go by. See, Jesus wanted the Ephesians to take stock of their relationship and see where they were. And I believe Jesus is asking us the same question this morning. Do you love me as much as you did in the past? Is there a time in your life when your love for Jesus was greater than it is today? And if so, then he's calling you back to him today. He's calling you to repent. That means for you to change your mindset about your relationship and fall back in love with Jesus. It's been my constant prayer, really all year, especially since I I read this scripture again a few weeks ago. Jesus, help us to fall more in love with you today. That's my prayer for myself, my prayer for you this week, this year. Every day I want my love for Jesus to grow deeper compared to what it was the day before. You say, well, John, that's impossible, man. You you just can't do that. Really? Is it really impossible? Who says it's impossible? Is it a rule? Is it a law? What would happen every day, every week, if you get up and say, Jesus, I want to fall more in love with you today than I was yesterday, than I've ever been in my past? Lord, show me how to do that because that's the desire of my heart. What do you think would happen if that was your sincere prayer every day? Don't you think things would begin to change in your life? I think it's worth a shot. I think it's worth an effort. I can't think of another prayer that's more in line with the scriptures than that one right there. So if you already know that your love is not what it used to be compared to your past, then find out what happened. Invite the Holy Spirit in to search you and try you and to know your ways. Is it apathy? Is it spiritual laziness? Are you just too busy? Do you love something else more than you love Him? Are you offended at God about something that happened in your life? Are you questioning His existence or His goodness or or, or the the reliability of His Word? What is it that's causing that separation? Whatever it is, he's ready and willing to work it out with you. He wants you to be in right relationship with him. So compared to your past, 
He wants your love to be deeper and stronger than it's ever been. So let's start in that direction today. So make sure that your love, by comparison with your past, is greater for him. Here's the second, here's the second area. We have to love God more than our closest relationships. Our closest relationships. Now this is a startling verse to read, but it's, it, it's in the scripture, and it's, it's, it's very clear. It's the words of Jesus, um, and, and I want us to read it together. Luke chapter 14, just two verses, 25-26. A large crowd was following Jesus. Can I tell you, that didn't happen for long. He didn't have a large crowd following him for long because of the truth of the word. He turned around and said, because he says things like this. He turned around and said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. Can you imagine standing in that crowd that day and hearing the words of Jesus come out of his mouth? You're considering following this great teacher, this miracle worker, this person that you think might actually be the fulfillment of the hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy, and you hear him say this? Now, he flips the language. It's different than what we're talking about, but it means the same thing, right? It's love by comparison. Jesus said, you have to love me and my calling more than you love the closest personal relationships you have in your life. It's an issue of comparison. I mean, he's clearly not calling us to hate people in our lives. John, how do you know? Because he commands us in Ephesians 5, he commands husbands to love their wives and to even lay their lives down for them. He commands children in Ephesians 6 to love their parents and obey them and honor them. So he says, he, Paul says a man in, in, the, in the New Testament, Paul says a man who won't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. So clearly, he's not commanding us to hate. So what's he saying? He's saying when we compare our love for those closest to us with the love that we have for Jesus, our love for Jesus has got to weigh more. It has to be our top priority. It has to come first. So John, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is talking about being his disciple. He's talking about living your life in relationship and submission to him. He's talking about getting saved and, and being his disciple. So, so he's saying if you're more worried about what your family thinks than what I'm calling you to do, you're not worthy of my name. That's what he's saying. He said you can't be my disciple. You can't surrender your life to me because your surrender is going to be incomplete. You see, Jesus only accepts total, unconditional surrender. It's not something that, that we preach anymore in the American church because it's not popular. See, we want to add Jesus to what we already got going on, and Jesus don't play like that because he's God, and he deserves first place. So you're not getting Jesus on your team. He's inviting you to be on his. He don't play for you. He don't work for you. He doesn't follow your rules. Jesus only accepts total, unconditional surrender. Your love and devotion for him has got to supersede your love and devotion for anybody and everybody else in your life. 
Listen, what will your family say if you really, truly follow Jesus? What if you start refusing to live the lifestyle of sin that they're living? What if you you don't go drinking and partying with them anymore like you used to? How, How long will you be friends with them? Or how long will they be friends with you? How comfortable is it going to be at family reunions when you see them? You say, but I can still blow off some steam with the guys or with the girls night out every once in a while and still be a Christian, right? I don't have to give up my friends to follow Jesus. First Peter chapter 4. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember, they have to face God, who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Romans 13, 11 through 14. This is all the more urgent because you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the drunkenness of wild parties in the darkness of wild parties or drunkenness in the sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Listen, you can't love Jesus but live like those who don't. If you're ready to give up the activities of even those closest to you, then if you're not ready to give them up, then you're not ready to be his disciple. And if you already claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then it's time today to give that stuff up, even if it means losing a relationship. Because sin harms your relationship with Jesus, and you have to love Jesus more than you love your past, and you have to love Jesus more than you love your closest relationships. Let me put it this way. If you're married, would you hang out with people who constantly put marriage down and tempt you to cheat on your spouse? No. No, you'd stop hanging out with those people because you love your spouse too much to listen to that and, to, and, and because you don't want to fall to temptation. And I don't care who you are, you keep putting yourself in the same situation over and over again, eventually you're going to say yes. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Your love for Jesus has to be the determining factor in all your relationships because you love him first and most If they're not willing to help you get closer to Jesus, then you have to put some distance between you. Now, even if it's not a a question of sin, sometimes it's just a question of obedience. When are you going to step out and do what God's calling you to do? Maybe your parents think you're crazy. Maybe your, your kids say you shouldn't do it. Maybe your spouse thinks you're unqualified. If Jesus is calling you to it, then you have to be obedient 
no matter who says you shouldn't. Now, am I encouraging people to damage relationships and make major decisions without consulting those closest? Not at all. Not at all. There's always balance in the Word. But if it comes down to being obedient to the clear call of God on your life or pleasing the people around you, you have to love God by comparison more than you love anybody else or anything else in your life or anybody else's opinion. And maybe this will help add some gravity to the situation. Luke chapter 9, verse 26, this is what Jesus said, If anyone's ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Your relationship with Jesus has to be more important than any other relationship, and it has eternal consequences. So we have to love we have to love God more than we love our past. We have to love God more than we love our, our, um, our closest relationships. And now we have to love God more than we love our personal comfort. Our personal comfort. Let me show you two scriptures, Luke 9 and then Luke 14. So Luke 9, verse 23 says, Then he said, Jesus said to the crowd, <laughs> it was a large crowd, <laughs> now it's just a crowd, um, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are lost, are yourself lost or destroyed? Look at Luke chapter 14. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin to follow me until you count the cost. Because who would begin constructing a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? And then verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. If there's ever been a time in history that a society was more focused on their personal comfort than ours today then i don't know what it is i mean we love us some us don't we we find every way i saw there's a walmart cashier that has a little fan hanging around her neck you seen that just blows she says this is hot in here so she, you know, we find all kinds of ways to keep ourselves comfortable. The, the, God forbid that we should have to do anything that makes us uncomfortable, right? We love ourselves and our comfort so much that in the American church, we've developed this whole theology around the concept that people who are truly close to God are the ones who have everything they want and are safe from all kinds of trouble. And, and that sounds great. And I'd love to get me some of that, except for the fact that it bears no resemblance to what's in the written Word of God. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to bear the cross of sacrifice. Do you realize that every one of the 12 disciples of Jesus were either killed or exiled for their faith in Christ? Do you realize that many of the early church fathers and mothers were, were either uh, killed by lions in a Roman Colosseum or tortured uh, or burned at the stake, or stoned with rocks. Listen, listen to this description of the life 
that God decides, that God considered worthy of honor. Hebrews eleven thirty three. This is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from, again from the dead. And that sounds great. We're like, yay, we want to do that. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. There's your, there's your prosperity theology right there. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. <laughs> Those who were closest to God were asked to give the most. There's no discipleship without sacrifice. Paul said, I want to know you. It was his prayer. He cried out of his soul, Lord, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And everybody goes, yes. And then he says, and in the fellowship of your suffering. And everybody goes, no. You can't have one without the other. If we say we love Jesus then he expects that to mean that we love him more than we love our own personal comfort. He didn't save us so we could be happy and safe. He saved us to make us holy warriors in the kingdom of God. He saved us to make us dangerous to the devil. He saved us to advance his kingdom. Remember, it's thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Loving Jesus means loving his purposes more than we love our own. It means being willing to suffer for the sake of the cause. It means, according to Jesus, laying down our plan for our lives so that the gospel can be advanced. You say, God, God wouldn't ask me to give up my dreams and my plans if they make me happy. Oh, yes, he would. He does that all the time. Like, did you read the Bible? All the time. Things are going cool. And Jesus says, follow me. Do you think pastoring this church is my dream? This is not my dream. It's my calling. And, I'm, and I love it. And I'm passionate about it. But this is not like when I was seven. This is not like what I was imagining. If it were up to me, I'd be singing on a stage somewhere. Or I'd be teaching or leading in a school system, but that's not what God wanted. And if you don't think God will call you to do something you don't want to do, or ask you to get uncomfortable, or, or test the extent of your commitment, then you don't know God very well. We have to love God more than we love our own comfort. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to read this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there'll be very difficult times. Can anybody disagree that we live in very difficult times? For people will love, love, look at the word, love only themselves and their money. 
They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving, slander others, and have no self-control. He just prophesied social media right there, right? Slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what's good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love, love, pleasure rather than God. Yay, but this, that's not even the scary part. That's just the headlines, right? That's just what we live in. That's, that's our world. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And, and the corollary, the obvious corollary is don't become people like that. But do you see what happens when you don't love God first and most? When you love only yourself and money and pleasure? Here, you can still be religious. You just can't be a disciple of Jesus. And that's where the Ephesians were headed. And because Jesus loved them, he called them to repentance. Listen, do you love God enough to be uncomfortable? Do you, do you love him enough to do the inconvenient or the dangerous? You say, okay, I'll do what's expected of me, John. No, it's not it. You you can't be fulfilling the obligation. You do it out of love for him. The Ephesian church was still fulfilling their obligations. That's religion. But Jesus said, you don't love me like you used to. It's not obeying your way to loving him. It's that your love for him causes you to obey. Y'all see the difference? You have to get the heart right, then the hands will follow. When we compare the, the two, do we love God more than we love our personal comfort? And then here's the last thing. We have to love God more than we love our spiritual giftedness. We have to love God more than we love our giftedness. And I want to show you this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2. We read, we read this chapter as the love chapter. And we read it at, at, at weddings, and, and that's good. It applies there. But that's not really the context. The context of, of 1 Corinthians 13 is in spiritual giftedness. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. See, we don't like to talk about it, but there are people who exploit spiritual gifts and opportunities for their own gain. They use the callings and the giftings of God, but they don't bring glory to God. Do you know how that happens? You use the gift of God without the love of God. Remember last week we talked about speaking the truth of Christ with the love of Christ. When you subtract the love of, of Christ from the equation, you start perverting the gift. Paul named four spiritual gifts in those two verses uh, that he had just talked about in chapter 12. Tongues, knowledge, prophecy, and faith. 
But he says, no matter how gifted you are in those areas, if you don't use them in love, you're a spiritual failure. See, we've got to realize that it's not just the mastery, but the motivation of ministry that makes the difference. It doesn't matter how incredibly gifted you are if you don't love. Your love for God has to exceed your love to, or your desire to be used by him. Your love for God has, has to outweigh your yearning to, to be on the platform or to be in the spotlight or even the feeling that the power of God brings in your life. Love for God and his people has got to be the driving factor. If you don't love people, you don't deserve a platform. You seek God's wisdom because his people need to know the way forward. You, you seek God's healing gifts because his people are suffering and hurting. You seek God's communication gifts, tongues and interpretation and prophecy because his people need to hear a word from heaven. You have to love God and his, and his people even more than you love the giftedness that allows you to serve his purposes. It doesn't matter how impressive the gift is. It doesn't matter how impressive you are on the outside. Jesus was willing to shut down a church that looked like they had it all together. This is important. We have to love Jesus on the inside before and more than we serve him on the outside. If you don't love Jesus more than you love his gifts then you don't have a relationship, you have a business partner. He's just a vendor for you. If you, don't love, if you don't love the people of Jesus more than you love using his gifts, then you'll use his gifts to steal his glory or to accomplish your goals or abuse his sheep. Let me show you the, the end of this chapter, chapter 13, the, the very next verse, chapter 14 and verse 1. Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. Listen, before you do anything in the kingdom, check your heart. Check your heart. Check your motives. Effectiveness is not the goal. Just because it's working doesn't mean it's pleasing to God. You do realize that some people are successful that have nothing to do with the blessings of God. Perfection is not the goal. Excellence is not the goal. Let love be your highest goal. And then everything else follows. Nothing wrong with being effective. Nothing wrong with, with, with being excellent, being as close to perfect as you can. Nothing wrong with that as long as, as it's motivated out of your love for God and His people. We have to love God, love his people, more than we love our spiritual giftedness, more than we love our personal comfort, more than we love our closest relationships, and more than we love and have ever loved him in the past. If we don't love him first and we don't love him most, then we need to stop what we're doing, repent, and ask God to help us. I want you to stand with me this morning if you don't mind.
I'm not going to stand here and try to name everything that you might need to pray about today. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. So we're just going to pray. This altar's open. You can pray about anything that you've got going on. Okay, not just about this message. But listen, don't, just because it's difficult, don't set it aside and ignore it. Because I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to search my heart, and I'm going to ask him to search your heart. Because this is important. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.